Good morning on this brisk March the 7th. The sun is shining in Short Gap, West Virginia, and we're glad to be in church, and we're glad that you joined us wherever you happen to be listening from. We're going to continue our mini-study on creationism, highlighting the very interesting topic of dinosaurs. Today's lessons, we're going to learn what happened to the dinosaurs based on God's word. Last week, we had a very difficult lesson. It's a hard lesson to present. It's a hard lesson to hear because it's the fall of creation. Sin brought forth death and death brought forth uh, the curse that still to this day envelops the planet Earth. And we're still under that curse. Now, of course, there's always hope. But by and large, we're still uh, not in paradise yet, as you well know. This time, we're going to answer that question of what happened to the dinosaurs. God often doesn't say much about a certain topic or so, but when he says it, we better perk our ears up and listen and believe it and then share it with others because that's why we're here and that's what we're supposed to be doing. So the first sub-theme is dinosaurs on the ark. <clears throat> now let me ask you a question. Did Noah take dinosaurs onto the ark? Yay or nay? I don't get too many responses with that question, so I'll just keep moving. Here's the truth. The Bible doesn't say. It doesn't say specifically, but neither does it say specifically that he took elephants or hippos or giraffes or bunny rabbits. But we know he did. So Noah called animals. Call. I'm going to talk more about that in just a minute. He called them two by two. Turn to Genesis 6, 19 and 20. And of every living thing, every living thing of all flesh, Two of every sort shall thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee. With whom? With Noah. Why was he to keep them alive? They were going to be seed after the flood when there's nothing left. They're going to be that which reproduces and then covers the earth again. They shall be male and female. You know this thing... We're being overtaken with this gender identity crisis that we're all having. Uh, not all of us, but some in this world. Here's, here's the reason he made them male and female. If we all become of the same sex, then we don't reproduce. If we don't reproduce, then the human race goes extinct. If it weren't for male and female of every kind of species they would have gone extinct. Now, some did go extinct, but the reason, the only hope we have is that one is male and one is female. That's why he made us as he wanted to. He made us. We didn't choose. 
we are simply believing what Christ did on our behalf. Of fowls, after their kind, he took two birds. After their kind, he took two horses. He took two cows, uh, on and on. Two of every sort shall come unto thee. We were in um, uh, sight and sound a few years ago and saw Noah's Ark. And, of course, when you go in, that's a beautiful place. If you haven't been there, you, you need to go. But, they, of course, they only had one little section of the ark, but they had the gangplank. And when Noah called, Noah didn't have to go round up these animals. It was all part of God's will. These animals were lined up off stage, and on, when he called, on stage they came, and up that ramp <laughs> into that ark, it was so funny. And I thought, boys, they got them trained, but that's exactly what God did. God called, and they came. And only the best one come. Those who knew to come, they came. The rest of them didn't respond. But God handled it perfectly, and two by two, they entered into that, into that ark. But I thought, these animals look like circus animals. They were that well trained, but... You know, those shows go on for probably six months or maybe a year. These animals did it two shows a day. <laughs> they were well-trained. They knew exactly what to do when they came in and got on the ark. Now look at Genesis 7, 1 and 2. Then, then he did something else. And the Lord said unto Moses, he spoke again about a different Noah. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. So now he, he told Noah to come. The ark's finished. Come in. And when you come this time, I'm going to bring another group of every clean beast by sevens. Now, why did he have this group clean and unclean? Well, if you drop one down to Genesis 8.20, the first thing that Noah did when he got off the ark was to start sacrificing animals to get God. And if you look at Genesis 8:20, and Noah built an altar unto the Lord and took every clean beast, that's why he had to call the clean beast aboard the ark, and every clean fowl and offer burnt offerings on the altar. Now this will get adopted into Jewish law. Up the road when God calls Moses and he gives him the law, then this idea of clean animals will be brought into Jewish law, but it started right here with Noah and the flood. So how did Noah to do this? Well, God told him to bring clean animals, but he also knew something. He would have known about Adam, that God did the first blood sacrifice and clothed Adam in a robe of righteousness. God caused the first death of an animal and put him under the blood of an innocent animal. So uh, Abel then carried out the proper sacrifice. Cain refused to, so then Abel was called righteous. All of that would have been passed down through the few righteous people that were on the earth up until the time of Noah. So Noah knows all about blood sacrifice, and he, he proves it because that's the first thing he did after he disembarked from the ark. The groups of animals that went onto the ark had to be the same ones that were created 1,600 years prior. Same ones. Because in 619, Genesis 619, he says every living thing. 
So there wasn't different animals from the time of creation until we get to the ark. It's the same group. It's the same animals. Now, what's the chance of them going extinct before the flood? Almost none. Because at that time, the world, the planet, was still in an idyllic environment. Yes, sin had entered, and sin brings forth death and all of that, but it's still like they're living in a bubble, in a hothouse. And it's a perfect living environment for the animals. So doubtful at all whether animals, any animals went extinct up until the time of the flood, but that's going to change after the flood. Some say, some of the skeptics say, that the dinosaurs were too large to fit on the ark as the bones of T-Rex measure 20 feet by 50 feet long and they weigh 20,000 pounds. Even larger ones like Ultrasaurus was believed to be 52 feet high, 82 feet long and weighing over 110,000 pounds. And Seismosaurus, which is called the earthquake reptile, I guess they're talking about the brontosaurus that we know, the long neck. Whenever he walked, you could feel the ground shake. He weighed more than 100,000 pounds. And people say, well, he couldn't have got those animals on that ark. Here's what they're missing. Ken Ham says the average size of dinosaurs was only that of a small pony or a sheep. Now, I'm no expert, but the experts are saying, we, we, we're fascinated by the big ones, but most of them were not very big. They were very small. And besides, how about taking the small ones on the ark? Why would you want to take a big one anyway? They'd eat more. You're going to be on there for a long time. So he, God would have called the young ones. And it's possible that if they could identify in the eggs, which was male and female, they could have taken eggs and taken up less space. So God knows what he's doing. He knows how to put all the animals on the ark that he wanted, and he wouldn't have taken the biggest ones. He would have taken the little ones. They'd have been a lot easier to manage anyway, probably. Uh, some, some scientists say, well, there are over 600 names of dinosaurs. Ken Ham says there's probably only about 50 different kinds. So we're talking about a pretty small number of those kinds of animals that roamed the earth at that time. So what happened to all the other dinosaurs on the earth? What happened to them? Turn to Genesis 7:23. They died, like everything else. And every living substance, substance, what's that mean? Living and non-living. And every living substance was destroyed, which was upon the face of the ground. Both man, cattle, creeping things, fowl of the heaven, even birds. They always wonder, maybe the birds survived. How could they survive? What would they eat? Where would they rest? They didn't even survive. So nothing survived except those that went into the ark. And Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him in the ark, both man, both his family, and animals. Everything else is gone. Okay, let's talk about some flood facts. 
you come down to this first schematic. Dr. Henry Morris is a legend in creationism. He's now long gone, been with the Lord, but he even wrote a study Bible, the Defender's Bible. He defends creationism. So along with Ken Ham, I put a lot of stock in what this man says. In his Bible, all in the notes, then he gives you very interesting details that only men of science could be able to do. I'm going to read an excerpt from that in just a minute. Okay, God called the animals and they boarded on, let's call that ground zero. And then God told Noah that in seven days rain would begin. So the ark was fully loaded for seven days before it rained. What's that? That's a week of grace. God gave him a week of grace, even after Noah had been preaching to him for 120 years, he still lets them, gives them seven final days, seven being the perfect number of God, they still won't go on. So after seven days, then it begins to rain 40 days and 40 nights. The Lord himself then shut the door. You wonder how Anybody could close a door that would have been that big. Well, the Bible says the Lord closed it in Genesis 7:16. Noah is 600 years old. So we even get a sense of how long he's been on the earth, how much he's seen, how long he's been waiting for this flood, but it's coming. Uh, torrential water came from both above and below. I believe on day two, when God created the atmosphere, he stored water above the atmosphere and he stored water below the atmosphere in the earth, anticipating when this day would come. It wasn't just the 40 days of rain. I think that was a minor part of it. It was this torrential amount of water that came from above and came from below. Uh, one verse calls it the fountains of the deep opened up and up it came. The waters prevailed. Let me read to you Dr. Morris's notes on Gen- look at Genesis 7:18. Here's what his notes say. The word prevailed in the original Hebrew conveys the meaning were overwhelmingly mighty. Not only would all land animals eventually drown, but the plant coverings would be uprooted and rafted away, the soils eroded, and finally even the mountains and the hills washed away. In the, de- in the sea depths, the eruption of the fountains of the great deep would also profoundly affect marine life. Great quantities of magma and metals and other materials were extruded from the earth's mantle. The sediments from the lands were transported down to be deposited in the encroaching sea basins. Complex hydrodynamic phenomena like tsunamis and vortices and turbidity flows and cyclic erosion and deposition and a variety of geomorphologic activity took place throughout that year. 
earth movements of great magnitude and tremendous volcanic explosions shook the earth again and again until finally the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. We can't fathom the destruction of that flood. It destroyed everything. Nothing is left. Not a tree, not a bush, not a blade of grass, not a mountain. It's gone. But then new things are made. Volcanic eruptions produce new mountains. The, the earth's mantle is cleaving, forming these tectonic plants or plates to cause new mountains all over the earth. It's like God is taking the planet and shaking it because of his anger at what man has done in 1,600 years after he created them and put them in paradise. The Lord closes the door. From day 7 to 47, the 40 days and 40 nights, the water came 22 and a half feet above the highest mountain. The highest mountain at that time, which the ark came to rest on, or the, the, the ark came to rest on, Mount Ararat, 17,000 feet or 3.1 miles high. It stayed there for another two and a half months. Now the water starts to go down. Now we're up from 231 to day 271. Then he sent a raven out. Then he sent three doves out. Now we're up to day 292. On day 351, he finally, he finally sees dry ground. And then on day 377, they disembark the ark. Now these are Dr. Morris's numbers. He says one year and 17 days they were on the ark. And the first thing Noah does then when he gets off is order sacrifices, is to offer sacrifices to God. The water coming from beneath. Turn to Genesis 8-2. Coming from beneath. The fountains also of the deep and the windows of heaven were stopped and the rain from heaven then was restrained. So again, remember this water uh, that he had put there before creation now flooded the entire earth. What we don't, what we fail to realize when that torrent of water came up, what did it take with it? It took soil. It took rock, it took magma, it took everything that was in the earth's crust and mantle and shoved it upwards, and then what did it do? It settled back down upon the earth. It covered all what? All the dead people. It covered all the dead animals. It covered all the dead plants. 
with an immeasurable weight producing a rock strata, a process called fossilization. It was not the age of the remains. It was not that they were there for billions of years. That's what the evolutionists say. It was a matter of the pressure and the weight that were on these dead things. You know what a gallon of water weighs? Anybody want to guess? 8.3 pounds. Five gallons weighs 41.5 pounds. 10 gallons of water weighs 83 pounds. This was 3.1 miles of water on top of every dead thing that lay on the earth. 3.1 miles of weight pressing down for one year. That's when all the fossilization took part. Is there secular evidence? Well, there is secular evidence. They found caves all over this earth where there are pictures of people. We have some in our country who were Native Americans. A picture of something that looks like the brontosaurus standing beside an Indian that the Indians drew. How would they know that? Except they were there to draw a picture of a brontosaurus. So there is secular evidence to say that the dinosaurs walked the earth even after the flood. But that's not where we turn to for evidence. God told righteous Job and all, all Bible believers, that's you and me, how he created the largest of the land animals or the dinosaurs. Turn to Job. Job 40. Job 40. If you're like me, find the Psalms and go backwards. If you open your Bible almost in the middle, you'll hit the Psalms. Then go back one book and you hit Job. Job 40, starting at verse 15. If you've got a Schofield, we're on 596. Behold now behemoth. Remember, there's no, the, you won't find the word dinosaur because the dinosaur, that name wasn't coined until the 1800s. God used the word behemoth. Now behold, behold now behemoth which I made with thee. Now that has two possible meanings. God made behemoth on the same day that he made man, which is true. That's on day six of creation. But I believe Job saw dinosaurs when he lived. So it also can mean that God made the dinosaurs continue on to live up until the time of Job. The Bible says that God made or created behemoth when he made man and also that Job lived at the same time on the earth. I think both are correct. Next part. He behemoth eateth grass like an ox. Does that make sense? Yes. When he created man and animal, he made them plant eaters. Why? There's no death, so you can't kill an animal to eat meat. So we both were made plant eaters. That makes sense. Look at Job 40 in verses 16 and 18. And lo, his strength is in his loins. His bones are like bars of iron. Buddy Davis of Creation Museum wrote a song called Behemoth is a Dinosaur. 
And in 2015, we had the best vacation Bible school here because it was on creationism. And we sang that song a hundred times. It is such a cute song. But in it, he uses the lyrics, His bones are strong as bars of iron. His tail's like a cedar tree. Well, God is describing the largest land animal that ever walked on this planet. Look in 419. Job, Job 40, Job 40. No modern land animal has a tail like a cedar tree. Now look in 4019. He's the chief in the ways of God. Now that's very important. No other animal is created in like manner. Does not this mean that behemoth was the largest creature that God ever created? Something had to be. Something's got to be the largest and something's got to be the smallest. Behemoth was the largest. Several Bible translations, however, beware of Bible translators. They substitute hippopotamus, like the Amplified and the New Living Translation. Whereas many other stu study Bible, they want you to believe it was an elephant. So, of course, now we're, cre we're caving in to the evolutionist uh, we're taking out uh, dinosaurs and we're putting in elephants and hippopotami. It's not true. Let me tell you what, let me read to you what Dr. Morris said. Some modern creationists give us, though, the biblical viewpoint. The word behemoth means simply a huge beast, and commentators take it to either mean an elephant or a hippo. But the the biblical description fits neither of these nor any other living animal. On the other hand, it seems to match the probable description of a great land dinosaur such as the Brontosaurus or the Tyrannosaurus. No elephant or hippo has a tail like a cedar tree. The description supports the theory mentioned above that behemoth, in fact, is a dinosaur. Defender's Bible, page 595. Obviously, elephants and hippos were not the largest animals still lived on the earth. Why? Because we've got skeletal remains of them. Go to the museums in Washington and look at them. They're there. They once walked the earth. So God described them exactly right. Also described Leviathan. He was the largest sea creature. Let me read to you just a little bit out of Psalms 104. Even Psalm, the psalmist wrote about these large creatures. So is this great and wide ocean, wherein are things creeping innumerable, some small and some great beasts. There go the ships, and there's a Leviathan, whom thou hast made to play therein. God made Leviathan just to play in the oceans. I think God has a tremendous sense of humor. And, he, and Leviathan was testimony of it. There have been unfossilized dinosaur bones found in Montana and Alaska, which couldn't have happened if they were millions of years old. This is tangible proof that dinosaurs lived until relatively recently after the flood at least during the Old Testament period. Okay, and now again, here's the devastation of the flood. We, we can't imagine 
what Noah saw when he walked off that earth, off that ark. There is nothing. But what started with the flood has since not gone away. The earth remains a very dangerous place to live. Severe earthquakes and volcanoes and other devastating events of nature continue to ravage the earth because of the curse. You want to know why that stuff goes on? It's part of this curse that was brought on because of sin and death and the curse. The perfect planet that God created and put Adam and Eve on is forever gone. And it continues to be a very dangerous planet even to live today. So people say, why do these things happen? It's a result of the fall of creation brought forth by man. After the flood, how much vegetation was there? None. It would have been totally destroyed and would have had, how long would it have taken for the earth to, to regrow all the vegetation? Months? Maybe years? What are they going to do in the meantime? As a result, God took things in hand. He changed the dietary laws for man and the first time he allowed man to eat meat. And he also placed a fear of man into the animal kingdom. Turn to Genesis 9, 1 through 3. Genesis 9, 1 through 3. He does two things, but watch the order in which he does them. And God blessed Noah and his sons. And he said unto them, Be fruitful, multiply. Why? There's no one on the planet but their family. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth and upon all the fish. Even the fish are afraid of us. Birds are afraid of us. All by the hand of God. Why? Why did he do it? He put the fear into them before he gave permission for us to start killing them. It wouldn't have been ethical if an animal walked up to us and we hit it over the head with a club to eat it. So God put the fear into the animals to stay away from us. Look at the last part of this. Into your hand are they delivered. What delivered? All of the animal kingdom. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you. Before I gave you the green herb to eat, now I give you meat to eat. Why did God change his mind? Why did he allow man to have meat when he first made us all plant eaters? Why? For man's survival. Survival of what? What came next? And by the way, what happened to all that water? Where did all that water go? Did God just pull the plug 
and watch it go down like a bathtub? God then ushered in an ice age. The only ice age mentioned in the Bible. He froze much of that water and he put them at the polar extremes of our planet. I'm going to read from you for Job. I'm not going to make you go back, but I want you to listen really closely. It's in Job 38 and verses 29 and 30. Out of whose womb came the ice and the hoary frost of heaven? Who hath gendered it? The waters are hid as with a stone. The water, God hid the waters in the ice, which became like stone. And the face of the deep is frozen. God's telling us in the 38th chapter of Job, he ushered in an ice age after the flood. Let me read you what Dr. Moore said. This unusual picture of a sheet of ice slowly coming forward as if it were emerging from a womb may well refer to the ice age, the ice sheet of the great ice age that covered the northern latitudes for many centuries following the flood. The book of Job has more references to snow and ice and cold than any other book in the Bible. The north and south poles of the earth began to freeze. It's not a hothouse anymore. That's gone. And they become covered with snow and ice, lowering ocean levels. As the ice froze, the water dropped. Well, why did God do that? He created land bridges. Those who had been spread out from the Tower of Babel now had access to all parts of the earth. Here's what a modern day map looks like after the flood. God created a land bridge. He created a land bridge here. He created a land bridge here. He created land bridge here. And after they got off the flood, after we get through the Tower of Babel, when they wanted to congregate, but he didn't want them to congregate. He spread them out. He made it accessible where then they walked all over the planet Earth. Guess who went after them? The dinosaurs. Dinosaurs have been found in many different places in the planet. That's how we got there, and that's how they got there. The relation, next theme, adversarial relationship between man and beast. The relationship between man and animals would have greatly changed after the flood. How much is there to eat? Very little. An intense competition between the two would naturally occur. As man spread out over the earth, animals would be killed and eaten for food. That's why he, gave, he put the fear in the animals first, and then he gave us permission to kill animals. Had he not, nobody would have survived. Man would not have survived. 
the significant climatic change. There was a climate change done by God himself. He lowered the temperature in order to get rid of all that water. And then he told him to spread out and repopulate the earth. That caused the extinction of many animals who could not keep up. That process continues today. In 1890, the Australian Eastern Hare Wallaby, whatever that is, went extinct. In 1937, the Indonesian Ballet Tiger went extinct. In 1964, the Mexican Silver Grizzly went extinct. It is estimated that we lose one to three species of animals every year because of the same processes today, according to Ken Ham of the Creation Museum. Extinction of the dinosaurs. So what happened to them? If they're not roaming the earth today, they died. Like everything, died. We're still under the curse. That's why we will all die, because we're still under the curse. The largest land animals created by God on day six, who once walked the earth with man, along with many other species, became extinct. There's physical reasons and there's spiritual reasons. Let me do the spiritual reasons first. Spiritually speaking, sin started all of this catastrophic effects on the earth. Sin brought forth death and the curse which continues to blanket us today. Of course, this is not something secular scientists will admit to. They have no faith. They don't believe in sin. They don't believe what the Bible says, how catastrophic and destructive sin has been to, the, to humanity. The Apostle Paul discussed this curse. Let me read to you what he wrote in Romans 8, 21 and 22. Paul says, For we know this whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain until now. Now let me extend that for two more thousand years. The creation still groaneth in pain and in travail. This planet is in pain because we lost everything that we had in the beginning by rejecting God. Paul described this, described the groaning of creation like a woman in the pangs of childbirth and is writhing in pain like a woman about ready to give birth, causing many things to happen that we wish didn't happen. This is not easy to watch of the death that results uh, because of sin. The dinosaurs had no hope. Do we have hope? That's why he made us special. Romans 8.24, we are saved by hope, but not hope like, well, I hope the check's in the mail. Our hope, biblical hope, is earnest expectation. Our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in heaven. 
And by putting our faith and trust in his finished work on the cross, we're never, we're never, we never have to worry about our future. The animal kingdom was never given that hope. Paul still writes, it's still as true today as ever. All things are working for good to those that love God. Even though we lived in a sin-cursed planet Earth, and it's groaning. Do you groan sometimes? Do you groan? You're groaning for the same reason. Every time you groan, you're groaning for that new eternal body that God's going to give you. The earth is groaning, groaning for what? A new heaven and a new earth. It continues to groan. The evolutionist problem is not like a faith. It's not like of evidence. It is like a faith. That's their problem. Let me show you my conclusion. Man, God created man 4000 BC. In the next 1600 years, man totally rejected God except for a handful of people. Wasn't bad enough, God warned them for 120 years. The whole time Noah's building that ark, he's preaching to them, you better get on the ark. You better get on. The flood lasted just over one year. And after the flood came an ice age that caused the extinction of many animals, including the dinosaurs. From 4000 BC to the flood of 2400 BC, God destroyed everything but a handful of things. And another 200 years, the dinosaurs are gone forever. Job 40, 19. He is chief in the ways of God. Who's chief in the ways of God? Behemoth. Something had to be the largest. Behemoth was it. Look in the next verse. He who made him, who's that? That's God, or specifically the Lord Jesus Christ, his sword to approach him. What's that tell us? He who created him can also cause his extinction. Let me read something for you that's on your handout. Something had to be the largest created land animal. That was the dinosaur. Like man, he was created to be a plant eater, but after sin brought about the fall of creation and the flood, he likely had to become a flesh eater to survive, which came problematic for who? Us. Now the dinosaurs want to eat us. Rather than let man become extinct, by the dinosaur, God allowed the dinosaur to become extinct by man. Most likely by a combination of three things. The total and absolute devastation of the flood. 
little food to eat, a climactic change that the dinosaurs could not withstand. And finally, man's assault with a sword for food brought about his extinction. That's what happened to the dinosaurs from God's authoritative source. We're going to pause for four weeks, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about the Neanderthals. While most of Christendom is practicing the unscriptural concept of Lent, which was started by the Catholic Church, we're going to spend our time four weeks from now reviewing our Lord's journey from the manger to the cross. Similar to what we did on Christmas where we separated fact from fiction, remember all the fiction that tradition has dragged us down to? Well, we're going to do the same thing with this time leading up to uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So as we did the real biblical Christmas, we're going to do the real biblical passion of Christ. We're going to separate fact from fiction and we're going to base everything we believe on what the Word of God says. I hope you will join us. I promise you, you will learn much. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this time together. It's kind of a breathtaking thought to think of how awful that was. But you told them. That's all you can do is tell them. If they won't listen, they won't listen. But Father, how many similarities are there to this very day? You tell us in, your, in the Gospels that uh, those at that time were, were being married and giving their daughters away in marriage. Their life was going on like nothing was wrong. And after 120 years of preaching the same message, then you lowered the boom. If we're not exactly in the same place today, then I guess I am a monkey's uncle because there's too many signs and there's too much evidence that this world and, yes, this country has forsaken you and the truth that you've given us just as they did in those days. So we're glad, we, we're not afraid, we have hope, we know our ultimate destination. But boy, there's millions and billions of people out there who are going to be caught in the flood. Thank you, Father, for our church, for this time together. In Christ's name we pray, amen.